You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. And of course, as I customarily do, take a second to highlight one of the products from Natural Stacks that we carry that I really love. And for me, uh, I've found that the acetylcholine brain food has been really effective at helping me stay focused and verbalize with uh, specificity. I now take it before every podcast that I do, and of course I do one at least once a week, and I've found that it just makes me sharper. And the way that I was thinking about this was for people who are doing public speaking or giving presentations or just need to be nimble in sort of like a networking sense, I think that you'll find that if you take the acetylcholine brain food, you've got a little bit of an edge. You know, with a lot of these supplements, I feel like 10 or 15% increase is uh, pretty common. And if you're feeling sharp already and you can increase that by 10 or 15%, it's noticeable and it's effective and it lasts for a couple of hours, which for me is why I love the acetylcholine brain food. So go ahead and use code MAC15 for 15% off your first online purchase. And if you're talking in front of people or you just need to be sharp mentally, Try the acetylcholine brain food. On today's episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast, we sit down with Dr. Dale Bredesen, who is from UCLA, and he's the founding president and CEO of the Buck Institute for Research on Aging. He wrote a book called The End of Alzheimer's, and we've heard this before, but cognitive diseases like Alzheimer's are reversible. And this is good news for any of us who have ever experienced anybody who's had uh, dementia. And we get into all sorts of cool stuff. The, the, the concept of a cognoscopy where you can do some blood work to figure out how your inflammation, your hormones, and sort of toxic compounds in your system um, are affecting your cognition. And then what steps you can take to improve those, uh, to go through a process which he uh, is using with now over 2,000 people called Recode. And this is therapies and, and uh, adjustments that you can make in your life that will help you not only stave off Alzheimer's, but, but reverse it. Um, he really gets into a couple of cool cases of fascinating recoveries from Alzheimer's. And uh, it gets a little bit technical, but uh, detailed. And uh, I think that you're really going really to enjoy this episode because it covers a wide spectrum of topics around cognition and brain performance and uh, really hope you guys enjoy it. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. And we're sitting here with Dale Bredesen of UCLA, who's the founding president and CEO of the Buck Institute for Research on Aging. And this guy literally wrote the book on reversal of Alzheimer's. Uh, Dr. Bredesen, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Sean. So I like to start every single one of these episodes off in the same way, uh, because when you when you know as much as you do, you probably make certain lifestyle changes and choices uh, that because you know too much and... I like to start every question, uh, every episode of the same one, which is, what have you eaten today? It's 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. 
what supplements, coffee, food, what's in your body right now, Dr. Bredesen? Yeah, it's interesting that you should ask. So I'm still on my fast, actually. So we recommend that people go from anywhere from a 12-hour to 16-hour fast. So I tend to start a little bit late in the day. So what I've had so far today actually has been psyllium husk. Uh, so some, uh, some fiber, which is turning out, as you know, to be so helpful for your microbiome, so helpful in a number of ways. Uh, and I've also actually had some filtered water um, with a tiny amount of citrus in it. Uh, so another kind of cleanse. We're finding out that we are literally swimming in Alzheimer's soup all the time. We are living from the homes we live in, the mycotoxins that are produced, uh, the various things that are in our foods and especially processed foods, the non-organic foods. Uh, we literally are giving ourselves these neurodegenerative diseases all the time. So altering that balance is so critical. And I'm learning, uh, you know, as with everyone, you know, we're learning more and more about what we weren't taught in medical school about how critical some of these things are. So that's that's what's been put in my body so far today. So when are you when you do break your fast? When will that be, and what will you what will you eat? Yeah, so it'll probably be in a couple more hours. Um, and typically, I have a salad. My my favorite food actually is my wife's a kitchen sink salads, um, and they are <laughs> from our own garden. Uh, and so uh, she has some wonderful lettuces uh, and, and wonderful beets in the garden and carrots and various things like this. Love avocado. Uh, and so as with many, many people, uh, I am trying to adhere to a more uh, low carb, high fiber, uh, organic uh, and, uh, you know, high fat diet with things like uh, nuts and avocado. And, and I do sometimes use uh, MCT oil. And I've actually just recently uh, been sampling some uh, uh, ketone esters and ketone salts, uh, although you know, that's obviously not the optimal way to do that. You want to use your own adipose tissue to, to generate the ketones, but I'm interested in these because of their effects on cognition. So uh, that's, that's where things will, will change in a few hours. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, 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 I did an exper a two-day experiment with uh, ketone aid. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I eat uh, probably 80-20 uh, for ketosis and um, did, did tests and, and watched my ketone, ester uh, my ketone levels spike up and, and felt that, that rush from it. Which ones are you are experimenting with now? Yeah, so right now, actually, I have some uh, ketone ester from Ketone Aid. Uh, and so just uh, I just tried it for the first time. And yeah, you're right. It really gets you rolling. <laughs> yeah, quick. Let's talk about deep stuff real quick. <laughs> yeah, really. Don't, don't want to waste it. Yeah, exactly. Well, in, in I really appreciate you sending me a, a copy of the book because, you know, um, our listeners are, are concerned with their cognitive health. And uh, as we just barely, we just sort of br uh, briefly touched on before we jumped into the episode, you know, there's, there's, this is going to be a, a, a continuing crisis and, and the economics around Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's treatment. Um, I think everybody at least knows somebody or a friend of a friend who's experiencing um, cognitive decline. And so our, 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 our people are going to jive with, with, with everything that you're coming up with. Um, and this is such a well-researched 
um, a book, uh, I, as I was flipping through it, I just uh, was jumping around and, and sort of having fun, sort of pick your own adventure. And one of the things that I think is, is an excellent place to start this conversation is the idea of a cognoscopy. <laughs> I, I think that's, I think it's, um, especially for people who want to activate somewhere and take, actually do something, uh, to change their behaviors. Can you walk us through a little bit about, uh, what a cognoscopy is, who should get it and what it does? Sure. Yeah. Let me give you just a little bit of background first. So as you know, this is a major and <clears throat> growing global, really global crisis. Uh, there are 45 million of the currently living Americans who will develop Alzheimer's disease if we don't come up with a prevention and reversal. And th this is going to bankrupt Medicare in the coming decades. Um, this is now the third leading cause of death in the United States. And in fact, in the United Kingdom, the number one cause of death is dementia. <clears throat> so this is a huge problem. And there has, you know, has been no treatment for it other than a couple of monotherapeutics, a couple of drugs that have a minimal effect and really don't change the rate of decline at all. So this is a huge problem and strikes, as you said, strikes uh, so many of us and everybody knows somebody. It used to be said uh, that, uh, you know, no one knows an Alzheimer's survivor. Well, we have over 2000 people now on the protocol um, and we have many people who are doing very, very well. So we reported the first examples of reversal of cognitive decline in 2014. And this is really an exciting time. It, you know, as you alluded to earlier with the biohacking and things like that, the reality is we can today make Alzheimer's disease a rare disease. And it should be a rare disease. When you look at why people are actually getting this and why it's so incredibly common, what you find is that there is a mismatch for all these neurodegenerative diseases. We find that there is a mismatch between the support side, the supply side, literally, and the demand side. So if you have a mismatch on the trophic side, the things that are allowing you to have the plasticity in your brain to make new memories, then you develop Alzheimer's disease. So the big surprise was, and I mentioned this in the book, that Basically, there are four things that cause you to make the amyloid that we associate with Alzheimer's disease. It is just the opposite of what we've been told. It is a protective response to four different insults. Number one, anything that gives you chronic inflammation, be it Lyme disease, fungi, bacteria, poor oral hygiene, leaky gut, you name it, anything that gives you, or eating trans fats, any of those things with chronic inflammation. Number two, anything that decreases your trophic support, low estradiol, low testosterone, low vitamin D, all those sorts of things, pregnenolone, progesterone, free T3, thyroid hormone, those things, you're now changing that balance. Third thing, toxicity. Amyloid is a very good binder of toxins like copper and too much iron and mercury and things like that. And then the fourth thing is glycotoxicity. So eat a bunch of sugar and you have insulin resistance. You shoot up your insulin levels and your response is that you now have a poorer response in your brain to insulin. And so you literally downsize your neural network. So with that as a background, 
what do we want to know? So, I, you know, I mentioned the term cognoscopy. Maria Shriver told me, don't ever use that term again. It's a horrible term. I okay, love it. fair enough. <laughs> I love it. It's easy to remember. Yeah. So, here's the thing. Everybody knows when you turn 50, what do you do? You get a colonoscopy. So what we recommend is if you're 45 or over, or if you've got a strong family history of Alzheimer's, get a cognoscopy. And what do I mean by that? Simple. You go in and get some blood tests that tell you if you're headed for Alzheimer's disease. Just the four things we just talked about. Do I have insulin resistance? Do I have chronic inflammation? Do I have a decrease in trophic support for my brain? And do I have exposure to either biotoxins or chemotoxins? Relatively easy to do. And again, just as with biohacking, uh, what people are doing on their own is way ahead of what most doctors are doing. The whole ketosis issue, ketones actually quite good for your cognition, as you know. So you want to know those things. And then the only other part of it is get an online cognitive assessment. You can do it with CNS vital signs. You can do it with Brain HQ. You can do it with, uh, uh, you know, Cog State. I mean, there are lots of things online now to get a simple. So those two things. Now, if you already are having symptoms, you want to add a third thing, which is an MRI with volumetrics, because you want to know if your hippocampus, for example, has atrophied, if a part of your brain associated with memory has atrophied or not. But if you're still asymptomatic, just get those two things. And the fact of the matter is, everybody who's in early stages, the earliest stages, does well on the program, and everybody who's doing prevention does well. We can make this a rare disease. Literally, Alzheimer's should end with this generation. So if you're very late in the disease, yes, we sometimes see people show improvement. We sometimes don't. We're still working on what sorts of things do we need to add to people who are farther along. But the bottom line is get in early, get yourself checked, and you should do very, very well. It's it's sort of a it's a staggering uh, situation because the things that you've mentioned, inflammation, you know, suboptimal hormones, toxic, you know, exposure. This is just life now. This is this yeah. this is just the sort of Western lifestyle that we all. I mean, let alone exposure to EMFs, which we're sh still not sure what's going to happen with those. Um, it. It, it really does. It it really paints the picture of this is the way that we all live. This is the way that we all eat, even though we think we're eating uh, correctly. If it's not coming from the backyard, you know, in the kitchen sink salad, um, then then it's really it's it's it takes massive lifestyle changes in the way that we eat in the, in in our environments and our exposure to toxin to be able to prevent this because it's it's almost inevitable currently, right? It's a very good point. Well, the, on the positive side, what you can see is 45 million Americans are going to get Alzheimer's. All right, that means that about 280 million Americans currently living are not going to get it. So even with swimming in the Alzheimer's soup that we currently live in, most of us still manage to keep it at bay, but we are actively keeping it at bay. And many of us have suboptimal cognition, especially as we age, when we don't need to, even though we may not develop full-blown Alzheimer's disease. So the bottom line is just as you know that keeping yourself in good shape 
helps your cognition, it helps your energy, it helps your daily life, it helps you uh, decrease your blood pressure, your cardiovascular status, you know, on and on and on, all the great things that keeping yourself in good shape does. You know, this is yet another thing. And the bottom line is that we have made certain assumptions over the last 150 years or so, basically with uh, living together uh, with the industrial revolution and things like that, we've made a lot of assumptions, and especially over the last 50 years, we've made a lot of assumptions about food that we should be eating and that it's okay to use pesticides and uh, the various GMO issues that come up. We've made a lot of assumptions, and unfortunately, these assumptions have been incorrect, and they've led to increases in obesity with obesogens. And as I mentioned in the book, you know, we're exposed to dementogens that we don't know about. And so we've got increased type 2 diabetes, we've got cardiovascular disease, we've got cancers, various things like this. The bottom line is we can improve health dramatically by addressing these things. So this is why we say, look, just see where you stand. You, you may be doing really well, you may not ever have to worry about this. But if you have insulin resistance, if you have chronic inflammation, if you're ApoE4, you want to know what your ApoE status is. It's a genetic marker. And people used to say, don't look at it because there's nothing to do about it. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. There's a lot you can do about it. And there's actually a, a wonderful website, ApoE4.info, hmm. where over 3,000 people share information about their ApoE status and about what they're doing for themselves and preventing cognitive decline. The vast majority of them are on some variation of this protocol. So there's actually a tremendous amount we can do today. And it's, you're right in that we are, we are at risk, but that still doesn't mean that we're going to get it. And the good news is we can all reduce our risk dramatically. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit further about what else that we can do to reduce our risk. Are there specific lifestyle factors that that may slow, you know, the the accumulation of of the, you know, the the amyloid plaque? I mean, is there are there things that we can do, a little adjustments in 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 our lifestyle that can that can slow that process? Oh, absolutely. Many. Um and if you've already started to be symptomatic, you want to be very careful about measuring this and you want to change that balance. The, if you look at the molecular details of this, there is a plasticity network that features a molecule called amyloid precursor protein. So this is the thing that makes the amyloid. And this is an amazing molecule. It's on neurons and other cells as well. And it literally is a molecular switch. So you can cut this at three sites to give you four pieces, four peptides, that are all supportive of downsizing. So you're literally getting rid of your synapses. You're downsizing. It's, we think more and more about amyloid as being like napalm. So <laughs> if you, let's say, imagine you're a country and you've got some bad guys breaching your borders. Now in your brain, this can be fungi, bacteria, spirochetes all sorts of things. You've got some bad guys breaching your border. You're going to put down the napalm to try to kill them. But in so doing, you are going to decrease your arable soil. You're literally decreasing your country's size so that you can get rid of the invaders. On the other hand, it, that same molecule, APP, 
can be cleaved at one site, a different site, which is called the alpha site. And it then gives rise to two fragments that support making new memories, support producing new synapses and maintaining synapses. So what we do in the protocol is to look at why you're on the wrong side of this, and then we want to do everything that decreases the synapse, we call synaptoclastic, so this is pulling back on the synapses, and increasing the synaptoblastic, the production and maintenance of the synapses. And that has to do with the following. Number one, diet. Diet turns out to be very important. Uh, you know, 15 years ago, uh, as a scientist, I would have laughed because people didn't think that diet was so important for Alzheimer's. It turns out to be very important and for cognition in general. So just as you mentioned earlier, you people do best with a high good fats, low carbohydrate, whole foods, plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free diet uh, in general. Then you want to, and again, with the, with the specific uh, fasting periods. If you're APOE4 negative, and that's again something you can find out easily through a blood or even saliva test, um, then 12 to 14 hours of uh, fasting. And there, by the way, there are 75 million people in the United States who have a single copy of APOE4. There are 7 million Americans that have two copies. If you have zero copies, your chance during your lifetime for developing Alzheimer's is about 9% or so. If you have a single copy, it's about 30% or so. If you have two copies, it's over 50%. Whoa. Most likely you will develop it. And the bottom line is none of these people should develop it. We should be able to look to see what are your risk factors and prevent this in just about everybody. So diet is step one. And as they say, D-E-S-S, -S, so diet, exercise, sleep, stress, those are the beginnings. You know, you exercise, uh, and by the way, both uh, cardiovascular and strength training, and certainly HIT, a very good thing for those who, who like to do that, very good thing for uh, decreasing your insulin resistance. You're increasing the sensitivity of your neurons to insulin. So this is a critical piece. And then of course, sleep. Uh, the majority of us don't get optimal sleep. And so this is a critical area. And by the way, 70% of people who have sleep apnea go undiagnosed. And that is a critical contributor to cognitive decline. So everybody should know whether they have sleep apnea. Yes, it's more common in men. Yes, it's more common if you're overweight. Yes, it's more common if you're over 45. But Women also get it, thin women also get it, young women also get it. So everybody can get it. And it's very simple, you get an oximeter, stick it on your finger overnight, you can see whether in fact you're having desaturation events. So this is an important thing to know. And then, you know, if you're getting eight hours of good sleep and you're not snoring and, and you know, you're doing well and you feel, you wake up feeling rested and you're not tired during the day, that's a good sign. And then of course, stress. Stress turns out to be surprisingly important. Yes, we as humans were made to have brief periods of stress followed by periods of non-stress. Our bodies do that very well. If you're you know, running from the tiger briefly, that's okay. Then you get in your cave and you're okay, everything's good. But it's that, it's that chronic everyday stress that kills people. And your cortisol levels go up, that causes atrophy of your hippocampus, 
this is a major problem. Now, beyond those obvious DESS things, brain training turns out to be important. And when you're doing your brain training, you want to do it where the environment, the biochemistry is supported. So to do that again, the right uh, diet and exercise, and then the right supplements and herbs. Again, as, as a scientist, I would have laughed at the idea of herbs 10 or 15 years ago. Um, but these are turning out, especially when they are targeted for your specific biochemistry. Uh, you know, people have been using Bacopa monieri for thousands of years uh, with very good results. Ashwagandha, very good thing. Curcumin, uh, or using turmeric, which has curcumin in it. Uh, this, by the way, binds. Curcumin binds very tightly to the amyloid and helps remove it. But remember that amyloid is the response to insults. So removing the amyloid, you want to remove the insults first, then remove the amyloid. If you just remove the amyloid without removing the insults, you can actually have more problems. So get rid of the insults if you've got you know, chronic inflammation. If your HSCRP is up at 10, should be less than one, then you want to get it down first. And you can use, for example, what's called SPMs, which are specialized pro-resolving mediators, you can get these actually over the counter. And by the way, this is why people take uh, fish oil. So fish oil has omega-3s that are precursors to these SPMs. So that's a very good thing to do. Uh, most people in the world are deficient in zinc. Most people are deficient in magnesium. Most people are deficient in iodine. And most people have poor gut function. So you want to find out about all those things. Find out where you stand. Optimizing those things will help to prevent, and if you've already started, reverse cognitive decline. Then there are specific supplements. Again, you want to know what your vitamin D level is. People have said, oh, yeah, it's fine to be down in the low 20s. Well, it may be fine, but it's not optimal for your cognition. So one of the things that we tell people is we're now going to treat you like a competitive athlete. Yeah. It's longer good enough to have a low vitamin D level. It's no longer good enough to have a high homocysteine. Even though it might be considered on the edge of normal, we want you to be optimal, not just within normal limits. And as a simple example, you can die from vitamin B12 deficiency with a quote normal B12, yeah. which is crazy. Well, and it seems to me on that note that the, the normals are going to shift, you know, uh, as more as more MDs like yourself really embrace functional medicine, you know, functional medicine is such a funny term. It just means, you know, overall, <laughs> overall, like what do you, what do you, what are you eating? What are you exposed to? But as, as more medical doctors embrace uh, functional medicine, the use of herbs, you know, looking at sleep, the, the normals are going to shift. I have to assume that, that in five or 10 years, these sort of um, normal ranges for, for vitamin D or for um, what's an acceptable hormone range or, or even cholesterol with looking at, um, you know, the, the effectiveness of the, of, of uh, uh, ketosis and, and the ketogenic eating for brain health. I have to imagine that the, that the book has to be sort of slowly rewritten. Do you see that coming? Do you see normals changing? I do. Yeah. And, and I mentioned that in the book as well, that, you know, here are the optimals, here are the goals. So this, you have to be careful because when you go in and your doctor tells you that something is quote, within normal limits. What that means is very simply that a statistician has shown right. that your number is within two standard deviations of the norm. 
that has nothing to do with optimal function, has nothing to do with good health. So uh, there will be a second set of things which will be optimal. So for example, homocysteine is normal up to considered within normal limits up to 13. But anything over six is associated with atrophy of the brain along with aging. So that as very nice studies out of the UK showed, if you have an increase in your homocysteine above six, you have an increased likelihood of having brain atrophy. So uh, you, we wanna get it to where it's optimal, not just to where it's within two standard deviations of an average. Yeah. Well, it, it's just, it's just not, not acceptable anymore. You know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a road to living a long and healthy life as there are more uh, centenarians, people who are surpassing a hundred years old. Um, in, in my world, I, I, I've come to the understanding that there are, are going to be more and more people living a hundred, 110, 120. I've heard as high as, as an expected li uh, life expectancy, somewhere around 140 or 150. And um, in order for that to happen, we have to, our bodies have to be able to continue to function at, a, at an optimal level. And so do our brains. Uh, how, how, how do, how does, how does this all tie into longevity? Uh, so uh, there was a study a number of years ago, looking at super centenarians, people who are 110 years or older. And surprisingly, these people did not turn out at autopsy to have Alzheimer's disease. <clears throat> so the fact of the matter is this is not inevitable. And in fact, um, you can avoid this with the appropriate things. So, um, and as you know, we do make neural stem cells during our lives. Uh, and they now there is a decrease in the use of these stem cells as we age, to be fair, but we do make these stem cells. And in fact, one of the patients I saw a number of years ago uh, was a physician. And when I asked him after he'd done very well, ApoE4 positive, well-documented early Alzheimer's disease, amyloid positive PET scan, FDG positive PET scan, very clearly both parents had died with Alzheimer's as well. And he did very, very well in the protocol reversed his problems. And um, when I asked him to go back and get a, a follow-up MRI with volumetrics, he said, you don't grow new brain cells and was kind of irascible. And I said, well, look, you know, in fact, there is some evidence <laughs> that uh, people who just exercise actually have small increases in their hippocampal volume. So I said, look, you've been doing a lot more than just that. You've really turned things around beautifully. You were at the 17th percentile for your age. He's in his late 60s. And I said, look, why don't you go back and let's just see where you stand. And so he had gone from the 17th percentile to the 75th percentile. So just dramatic increase in his hippocampal volume. And in fact, the neuroradiologist did not believe it when these first came back. This is not possible. He said, we've done 75,000 scans here at this hospital. We've never seen this before. So I said, well, look, can, can we get the scans? We'll take them to another place um, for an objective reading. This is computer-based analysis of hippocampal volume. And in fact, it showed the same thing. So we're seeing things that are unprecedented by addressing the underpinnings of cognitive decline, the biochemical mechanisms that cause this problem. That, has there been since then? Has there been more more studies or or more uh, results test results that have shown hippocampal volume increase? Uh, 
So we're actually just doing those. So we now have two things going on. One is we are actually reporting another 50 people who have objective improvements from various tests, whether it's through MRI, whether it's through PET scans, whether it's through cognitive assessments. And of course, the most common thing is you see improvements in memory, you see improvements in engagement. That's one of the most common things we hear. The spouses will say, wow, they're just more engaging. They're interactive. Um, one of the spouses uh, got into the car and, the, and the, the husband said, you know, I, I forgot to, to uh, bring the map to where we were going today. And the woman who had Alzheimer's and had been treated uh, turned to him and said, oh yeah, no, I had to get there. It's 15 miles from here. You take a left here, right, right, left, left, right. And the husband looked at her and he said, you haven't been able to do that in years. So these are the sorts wow. of things that you hear again and again and again. Um, and then the second thing we're doing is to do a clinical trial um, with the Providence Healthcare. Uh, and so we'll see how that clinical trial goes in the next, uh, in the next over the next year. Wow, yeah, that that that's everything, right? I mean, for those of us who have who have witnessed um, cognitive decline in our loved ones, that engagement is everything. I mean, that's that's a zest for life. That when when you know being forgetful is one thing, but it, but engaging engaging with your loved ones and 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 leaning forward into your life and still having interests in the people around you and your environment like that's that's man have you have you been able to see firsthand with the people some of the people that you've worked with just just have massive anecdote i mean anecdotal changes that you've a story that you could tell of somebody who's who's had a massive turnaround oh yeah i mean striking striking effects we see again and again and it's that sharpness you know the ability to interact, be present, be on target, be able to get yourself around, be able to drive to the right places, on and on. So I'll tell you, you know, one story about someone who, that I did not think would turn around, and we're still working on this. So there was a woman who had a Montreal Cognitive Assessment, this is so-called MOCA score. These go from zero to 30, and this samples various things like your memory, um, your ability to uh, plan things, your ability to see patterns, all these sorts of things, repeat sentences. So it samples different areas of the brain. Her score was zero. So she could not speak. She could not dress herself. She could not dance with her husband anymore, ride her bike, any of those sorts of things. And um, I thought this is too far along because most of the people, again, that we see these dramatic improvements are people who are not so far along. But indeed, she improved. She's now able to dress herself. She's now able to dance with her husband, ride her bike, talk to him. She now emails people. So she's improved. Now, she's not, she's a long way from normal. But just even those changes make a dramatic change in her life and her ability to interact with her loved ones. Yeah, that's, that's huge. I mean, man, just think... Eh. There's, there's just, you know, you've already said that some of the numbers about how many people can expect um, to develop Alzheimer's and cognitive decline. What are some other, what are some other um, diseases, cognitive diseases, neurodegenerate diseases? Uh, and sorry for if I'm butchering the vernacular, but what are some other um, brain diseases that uh, that, are, that are also affected outside of Alzheimer's? Yeah, you know, this is a great question. So here's a question for you. What is the neurodegenerative disease that is more common than Alzheimer's? And most people would say, well, there isn't one. Well, in fact, there is one, um, and that is macular degeneration. So in fact, we think about this not as a neurodegenerative disease because people go blind with this. 
Um, there are about 11 million Americans who have macular degeneration, and it turns out to follow a pattern very similar. It is it has got its own specifics, but the idea of a mismatch between the supply and the demand that we see in Alzheimer's, we see it with trophic responses, nerve growth factor, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, things like that. With macular degeneration, you are supplying the area of the body, the macula in your, in your retina, that has the highest metabolic activity. So you have to match these with what you're supplying to it. And there are a whole set of things that in fact are damaging to it. So we're actually beginning to work with people with that as well, and I'm very excited to see improvements there as well. And then other ones are Lewy body disease. So there are one million Americans who have Lewy body disease. This of course is what Robin Williams died of. Um, it is essentially a combination of Parkinson's plus Alzheimer's. So you have, and they, these are, turn out to be mostly like the type three Alzheimer's that we talked about earlier. That is to say, they are driven by exposure to toxins. And whether you have Lewy body dementia or whether you have Parkinson's, so then there are also about a million people with Parkinson's. And some of these people will develop cognitive decline as well. And then beyond those, there's frontotemporal dementia, there's corticobasal degeneration, there's progressive supranuclear paralysis, on and on. There's, of course, vascular dementia, which is another relatively common one. So Alzheimer's is the most common cause of cognitive decline. It's the second most common neurodegenerative disease. And then, of course, people who have Lou Gehrig's disease, and you remember the ice bucket challenge with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Those people often have frontotemporal dementia with the Lou Gehrig's disease. So there are indeed a number of causes of cognitive decline, but Alzheimer's is by far the most common cause of cognitive decline. Yeah. I want to talk about stress now. Yeah. Dr. Bredesen, I want to talk about stress. Um, I think everybody, everybody knows, everybody knows that, that stress affects everything because stress causes inflammation and it's just sort of this, um, uh, this cascading effect of stress affecting everything. And of course, you know, um, cortisol levels can be, um, can be managed through diet and exercise and sleep. But as, as one of the four sort of markers that you've laid out, uh, of DES, which I'd never heard that acronym, acronym before. I think that's interesting. Um, can we talk, talk us through a little bit about about specifically the effects that stress have on on the brain and in the process of cognitive decline, and then also what what we can do to to lower uh, to lower that? Yeah, absolutely. And so, as I mentioned in the book, you know, knowing that you have to keep your stress down to keep cognitive decline away. Unfortunately, it puts a lot of stress on you. Uh, <laughs> it does. It, it does. Self-defeating. So you got to be careful. And yes, we live in a very stressful society. Uh, you know, whether you're getting yelled at by your boss or whether you're out there and, and you know, you're trying to, to do something that hasn't been done before or that you're trying to, you know, bring home the bacon, whatever it is, there are so many reasons for us. And again, Having acute stress that then resolves, we're evolutionarily designed to handle that. And in fact, you know, as the old Nietzschean saying goes, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But what we are not evolutionarily designed to do is have chronic stress so that it's there every day. You know, you're, you can't sleep. 
you know, you're, you're waking up with your heart pounding, all these sorts of things. That's what we're not set up to do. And of course, there's some wonderful, there's some wonderful books on this uh, by Professor Robert Sapolsky, who's actually an old friend and colleague uh, from Stanford, not too far from here. And so uh, this is a problem. And among many other things, uh, your this increase in cortisol alone is damaging to hippocampal neurons. And in fact, we've had a program up now for uh, over, a, over a decade looking at specific molecules. As part of this overall program, of course, we'd like to develop, uh, you know, if you need drugs to enhance, if you have uh, if you re require those to increase the effectiveness of the overall program. For most people, they won't need this, but for those who are farther along, um, you may need drugs. And so we've, de we've been developing these for years, and one of them actually turns out to affect the stress pathways. The specific receptor that your so-called corticotropin-releasing hormone binds to in the brain turns out to be an important target in Alzheimer's disease. So there are a number of mechanisms by which, and of course, you know, you increase your blood pressure, as you mentioned earlier, you change your vascular tone. Uh, and this is actually an increasing risk for Alzheimer's disease as well. So if you have vascular disease um, in your midlife, that increases your risk for developing Alzheimer's disease in later life. If you have hypertension, it increases your risk for developing. So by a number of mechanisms, chronic stress increases your likelihood. And again, this is why uh, we say, you know, the, the very thing that I, again, I would have laughed years ago, uh, meditation for people who do TM, great idea. It actually does better with your blood pressure. It decreases your likelihood of cognitive decline. It improves your neuroplasticity. So finding joy in your life, getting out there and whatever it is that you enjoy doing actually turns out to be helpful for your cognition and for your future cognition. Yeah, in my in my world, so I own um, uh, sensory deprivation tank centers. Are you familiar with float tanks? Sure, sure. Yeah, so so in, so the the effects from a one hour float are um, highly restorative, decrease cortisol, increase um, in endorphins, and what I have just seen thousands and thousands and thousands of times is that even just a little bit of quiet, a little bit of solitude, a little bit of time to reflect that's not um, it's 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 a lifestyle choice, right? Because most of us are on our phones or our computers all day till the very moment right before we go to sleep. And, and that's just keeping our cortisol levels up. I mean, exposure to light is all, is all part of that too. But um, just, just uh, having a practice to be able to relax your mind through meditation, through floating, uh, walking meditation, all these things are super important. And, and it's just sort of re, it's like we're trying to keep up with the advancement of technology and, and society as we, as, we, as we become more advanced as a civilization. We have to also pump the brakes a little bit because, um, because it's, it's harming our brains, right? Yeah, this is absolutely important because, you know, years ago we used to think that these things have little to do with cognition and that we're just going to take a pill at the right time. And it turns out, in fact, that that's, that's wrong. The things that we used to think didn't have big impacts, basically optimizing the way you are living, uh, optimizing your cortisols and your diet and making sure that you don't have a leaky gut, getting an appropriate amount of fiber and, and optimizing your various 
trophic supports and, and uh, uh, you know, your various nutrients, these things turn out to be much more important than we have recognized in the past. So we really are at a, a fundamental time of change in understanding what we can do. And, you know, biohacking, I think, is a is a fair term looking at how these are. But I would say it's not so much that we're hacking it. We're actually returning it to the way that evolutionarily we were meant to survive. The fact of the matter is that the vast majority of us are living in a way that our bodies were not designed to live. So it's just like you get a new car, you have your choice. You can drive it the way it was designed to drive, and it'll probably last a long time and do very well. Or you can drive it in a way that it wasn't designed to drive, and you're always going to have it in the shop, and it's going to fall apart early, and it's not going to be worth very much pretty soon. Um, that's the way you can drive your car into the ground. And most of us, unfortunately, are living in the latter way. We're driving ourselves into the ground. So yes, things like meditation and de-stressing and the things like the sensory deprivation tank that you mentioned, these things actually turn out to be surprisingly helpful for your physiology and for your cognition. Yeah. Um, before we before we take this take it home and um, and hear kind of where where we can get involved, and, and I also want to touch on um, on the Recode protocol. But before we get into the Recode protocol, which is this is included, is I want to talk a little bit about the gut because we've done a couple of podcasts uh, around leaky gut, leaky brain, the gut brain connection. Um, just, you've got, you've, you've got a list here of, uh, potential pr- uh, triggers, um, uh, sugar, herbicides, pesticides, GMO foods, alcohol, anti-inflammatories, stress, all these stuffs, uh, all of these things affecting the gut. Um, what, what, what in your mind is, is the most important takeaway for, for gut health and, um, and keeping the brain sharp? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the most important thing, again, is to find out where you stand. Find out if you have a leaky gut, because so many of us do. It's something that's certainly healable and addressable. And so, in fact, you don't have to live with a leaky gut. Uh, And finding out where you stand, you can do things like, you know, Cyrex Array 2 is one way to go to find out if you have a, but there are other ways as well. Find out if you have a leaky gut. Um, and find out if you have you know, ongoing inflammation. Um, there are various, uh, you know, various uh, doctor's data tests and, and uh, Genova tests and things like that for gut health. See where you stand. And then there's a wonderful book that just came out uh, called The Toxin Solution by Dr. Joseph Pizzorno, who spent his career looking at toxins. And part of one of the things he talks about extensively in there uh, is what sorts of things to do for gut health. So some people uh, like to take things like DGL. Um, this is a, D, a, a, glycer, a gl, it's actually glycerinated uh, licorice. So DGL, easy thing to do, uh, huh. good for, for gut health, good for gut healing. Um, and then also uh, to look at, uh, you know, how much fiber, the, the reality is that most of us are in a very low fiber diet, which again is not the way human beings uh, evolved. We are in a scenario in which we are eating and assaulting our gut with the wrong things so that we end up with microbiomes with poor diversity and with a lot of the pathogens and too few uh, of the you know, positive bacteria in microbiomes. 
So optimizing that turns out to be important, as you know, for neurotransmitters, for cognition, for Parkinson's. It's a critical player in Parkinson's, for cognitive decline, for inflammatory bowel, you know, all these sorts of things that are critical. Um, so th this is a good thing for people to know. Again, I would say just like we talked about with sleep apnea, it's something that goes undiagnosed in the majority of people, and yet it's relatively simple to determine where you stand and to address it. Yeah. So walk us walk us through uh, the Recode protocol because that's that's really where the rubber meets the road in 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 terms of of uh, the work that you do and how people can actually help themselves. Walk us walk us through what that looks like. Right. So the Recode protocol that we developed and now, as I mentioned, over two thousand people are on this is a personalized protocol, so it's different for each person. We developed a computer-based algorithm that basically takes your test results and says, okay, here are the subtypes that you have or that you are at risk for having, because many people have, for example, you know, 70% type one Alzheimer's, 20% uh, type two, and 10% type three, that sort of thing. Most people are not 100, zero, zero. And so then it will give you a program based on your test results. So this came straight from the test tube. That's one of the reasons I'm such a believer in functional medicine, because we came from a completely different angle. I didn't start out believing in this sort of medicine. In fact, I thought it was <laughs> kind of hokey. And so I thought, oh, this, come on, this stuff, we, we know, we want a drug. This is not the way things work. But after we looked at the mechanisms that actually are causing you to have cognitive decline, we realized, wait a minute. This is exactly what's going on. So you need to look at why you are on the wrong side of that balance for the APP, and then you can address it. And so, yes, it takes your lab data, and we look currently at 150 different parameters, and that's a tiny number. You know, this will become millions over time. Hmm. Uh, you know, th this is what we're doing now. Look, look what you can do now with your iPhone. Uh, that you couldn't do, you know, 20 years ago. That there are much, much larger data sets uh, that you that are used for all sorts of things, from you know, advertising to flying planes to driverless cars. Um, the fact that this hasn't been used nearly enough for our health um, is ridiculous. And so, as things go on, uh, you know, we have right now what we call the complexity gap. Human beings are extremely complex, and yet the data sets that our physicians are collecting are too small. They're looking at your serum sodium, your serum potassium. We need to collect much larger data sets and close that complexity gap, and that's what we do with Recode. So we look at a larger data set and we can say, okay, here are the things that are driving your cognitive decline or your risk for cognitive decline. The good news is we can address all of them. So we tell people, Imagine you have a roof with 36 holes because we initially identified 36 different mechanisms that contributed. We now know that there are a few more, but it's not thousands. It's not that bad. So you can look these larger data sets and you can see, okay, here are the things that are driving this person's risk. And then how do we address them? Okay, it includes your diet. So that was going to be different whether you're APOE4 positive or negative. It's going to be different depending on what you're doing, your exercise, sleep, stress, brain training, specific nutrients and supplements and specific herbs that are targeted to you. Specific if you have, you know, if you need stem cells. So we have some people now that actually need stem cells. Those tend to be the people who are later in the process. If you're at prevention, you don't need that. 
So this is a program that is personalized to you, to what you need to have your optimal risk reduced. So the optimal reduction of risk. And if you're early in the process to reverse the process. Again, if you're late in the process, you may get some improvement, you may not, we're still working on that piece, but we have seen unprecedented improvements. We've had better results than anyone else in the world so far with improving cognitive decline. So that's the way the protocol works. It is literally addressing causes. And the most important thing of all is that when these people improve, they sustain their improvement because you've now gone after the very things that are causing the decline. So we have people, the longest now are people on the program for six years, and they've sustained their improvement. And interestingly, when they go off the program, they start to get worse again within 10 days to two weeks. When they go down, they get better again. We see this repeatedly. Wow. So somebody has been following the protocols. They got their test. They know that they need to reduce environmental toxins. They need to change their diet. They need to move more, all that stuff. They've got the, they've got the dot, you know, they're, they know the path. They get lazy. They've been doing it for a couple of years. They get lazy and it takes 10 days for them to like, this is what I imagine is that, you know, 10 days later of them sort of slacking, whether they're on vacation or drinking or partying or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like the word that they use all the time is not there anymore. Like they, they go for a word that's sort of vocabulary reference and they don't have it. And then it starts to, to starts to go from there. I, I can't, that's amazing. 10 days is such a short period of time for you, for those effects to come back in. Yeah. So it tells you that you know, you have a biochemistry. I mean, you know, everybody knows if they've gone sleepless for a day, um, they're just not as sharp as they were. And so, you know, this is you continue that process, you continue to go downhill. And you have to remember, these are people who already have the underlying pathophysiology of early Alzheimer's disease. So as they're going off, they get worse. And in fact, we've got one really interesting, brilliant guy, actually, well-documented early Alzheimer's. Um, improved dramatically, did very well, but he's a little bit lazy. He doesn't like to do some of the things. And so what he does is he actually adjusts himself to have a mild anomia. So he notices in himself, the first thing to go is he'll miss a word every now and then, but that doesn't bother him. So, you know, and again, you know, you can miss for a day, but it's, it's going off, you know, 10 to 14 days, you know, you get back into this pro Alzheimer's biochemistry. This wow. really is a brain switch that you can control. Amazing work. <laughs> Amazing work, Dr. Brett. And I mean, the, the, to be able to, to, to pinpoint that, you know, the fact that um, the fact that you guys were the first to publish, you know, cognitive reversal, cognitive decline reversal just a few years back. I mean, this, this is going to change so many lives. Um, what, for you personally, how do you keep it all? How, how do you keep it all contained and focused and managed? Are you just are you just so compelled by by the research and the results that you just you just hop on one plane into another and do another podcast and continue the research? Just, does it does it drive you forth? Well, you know, we've been working on this for thirty years, and uh, I literally thought I would die studying Alzheimer's. You know, studying um, uh, Alzheimer's in mice. We could make mice better. And I thought, you know, we're never going to make a human better. I'm going to die trying. 
So it's just been such a joy, honestly. Every time I get an email from someone who's improved, we had you know, one woman who wrote from New York and she'd gone from ninth percentile on her cognitive testing to 91st percentile. And she just wrote about what a joy it was to be, you know, have her life back and her cognition back. These sorts of stories just make my day. So I have a very clear goal. My goal is before I'm gone from this earth, I want to see all these neurodegenerative diseases preventable and treatable. And we're on the right path. This is the very beginning. This is the toe in the water. These are the first people who've shown improvement. These are the first Alzheimer's survivors. And I'm very, very excited about that. Well, that's a great place to stop. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where where can people find you? Are you uh, are you all over Twitter? Where where can they where can they find the book? Obviously on Amazon and and all the other countries. Like, give us your your vitals, and then uh, we'll send you off. Yeah, you know. So actually, uh, we're very poor. My my two daughters said to me, Dad, you know, you're horrible about Facebook and Twitter and all this sort of stuff. So we're actually setting up more right now. You can get information uh, at drbredison.com. Um, you can also so support at drbredison. You can email us. Uh, and so we're, you know, we're, we're doing a better job of getting out there. Uh, but, you know, the bottom line is we can all work together to reduce the global burden of dementia. And that's something that's, that's certainly worth all of us pitching in to do that.